0: Good morning, Daylighters. So The Good Place has been out for six years now, and if you haven't seen it, I blame you for the spoiler. It's not my fault. But it sort of hits this question of what, what does a milkshake mean if you have this continuous supply of milkshakes? If, if the milkshakes never run dry, you, you get to the point where you're bored of milkshakes, and it ties into this lesson that what some people have called the wisest man ever, that ever lived gave us. This is Solomon looking all austere and since solemn and skinny-headed a little bit. And he was, he was approached by God at one point, as the story goes, and, and God said, you can have whatever you want. And he said, I want the ability to discern right from wrong. I want wisdom. And, it said, and, and God responded to him and said, because you have asked for this instead of riches or glory or fame or honor, I'm going to give you the wisdom that you've asked for. And on top of that, the icing on the cake is, because you have wisdom, you're going to have riches and wisdom and honor and, and, and glory and that sort of thing. And he was, supposedly became the greatest, richest, wisest king of all time. And he, he wrote this part of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And I find myself relating greatly to Ecclesiastes. On my, on my worst of days, it's because he says, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. And he goes on to say this. He says, the sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. He says this a couple, couple chapters later. He says, that there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. He mentions, as I already showed you, that there's a season for every activity under the heavens. And we are seasonal people. Our lives are greatly enhanced, and it hurts the fact that we live in winter, spring, summer, fall. How many of you, when it's winter, you can't wait for spring to get here? and some of you when it's spring you can't wait for summer to get here and when summer's here you can't wait for fall to get here pumpkin spice anyone <laughs> but we we're we are creatures that that live in kind of an epic sort of discontentment we always want the next thing we we always want something new and so even as the, as the clip illustrates even even milkshakes which most of us would enjoy greatly. Milkshakes stretched out for all eternity would become meh, would become mush. And I think the scriptures talk about that. We're, we're creatures of wanting. We, we, we dream of a white Christmas, but we don't want icy rose. We, we want to be with our friends, but we don't want to be with our friends too much. There's, we, we're, we're pleasure and pain creatures. And any, any conversation about the next fruit of the Spirit, which is patience, which is what we're getting into today, is, is also a conversation about desire, and passion, and hope, and pleasure. I showed you this picture about our mission trip last week, and we all drooled a little. I'm going to keep showing this picture. I'm going to dream of days gone by, but this is one of the, one of the appetizers in, in Guatemala while we were there, and I want to ask you the question of what, would, what, is, what is eating, what is the pleasure of food without hunger, like, don't, don't we have to have... And, and I think it ties into some of the deepest questions of, of, of humankind on, on the concept of suffering. Why is there such suffering? And I think it ties in, and we're not going to get into that today, but would this, would this be as enjoyable as it was? Like, like, when you look at that and everybody goes, oh, stop putting that in front of us, isn't, isn't it because you're hungry? If you were already satiated, if you were already satisfied, it wouldn't do for you what it does for you when you're hungry. The, the, the pleasure of food requires some kind of hunger, which translates, the pleasure of food requires some kind of suffering, some kind of pain. It's built into the system. It's circular. The wind blows to the north, and it comes back to the south, and it goes in a circle. A cool drink of sweet tea, because we're in Kentucky, on a hot summer day, Doesn't it requ- for, for that to be enjoyable, doesn't it require a type of discomfort, the hot summer day, the sweat? if you reverse it and you make it a hot beverage with friends on a, on a cold winter day, isn't it, isn't it the cold winter day and the aloneness contrasted to the friends that, that makes that special? It's, it's this concept that Solomon was getting at, is that we, we want and we need and we find satisfaction, and then we lose satisfaction and we want and we need some more. I don't, I, I, in preparing this, I couldn't figure out what the opposite of romance was. If anybody has any suggestions, don't shout them out now because that'll be chaos. But isn't, isn't romance or, or even sexuality, isn't, isn't, isn't pleasurable sex tied to anticipation and desire? Romance, what is, what is romance if there weren't some kind of separation, like, like some kind of uh, missing intimacy in our lives? The, these, these good things are always contrasted with something that we would describe as painful or suffering or maybe bad. But what I want to explore today is, are they, are they actually bad, some of these things? What is, what is a vacation or laying in a hammock with a beautiful view? What is a vacation without, without work? What is a beautiful view without views that are meh or not so stellar? What is, what is beauty without ugliness? And what is, what is endurance without trial? What, even in a picture like this, when we, when we talk about climbing stairs... What is the penthouse suite without a first floor? And it ties into so much of our lives, of, of why we do what we do and how we think about what we think about how we live our lives, is this concept of contrast and living within the contrast. What is travel without home or music without silence and discord? We live in a world, I, I, I wanna say the Confucianists have it right, of yin and yang, there's there's dark and light, and I'm not I'm not espousing alternate religions or anything, except to say that there there's there's some truth there that we live in darkness and light. What is light without darkness? What is what is pleasure without pain? What is friendship without loneliness and aloneness? And what is having without not having? Some of us wait a long time for Super Bowl Sunday to arrive because we look forward to Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. And for me, it's about the chips and salsa. I, I once spent most of a year logging my calories, and <laughs> there's this chart of 1,800 calories, 2,200 calories, 1,700, 1,583, 2,400, Super Bowl Sunday, 7,200. <laughs> and I plan on doing that again today but we 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 can't wait for football season to come or the next tv show or my vacation or my job to change or my son to come home from wherever my son is or or whatever the thing is we have we we we're creatures of expectation and 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 so often we're living out there so often we're we're not enjoy isn't the isn't quite the right word it's like savoring or relishing so so when you take a cheeseburger, for example, and you look forward to a cheeseburger, would a cheeseburger mean anything if your belly wasn't empty? And at some, at some point in our lives, this ties into patience, which we're going to get into, is, is learning to kind of recognize and admire and appreciate that hunger for what it is, because it leads to something great. And when we talk about something leading to something great, we're talking about hope. And so patience and hope are intimately tied together. There's this passage in Rome that says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's this idea that the moments of, like Solomon would say, the moments of death are not embracing, or seed time versus harvest and so forth. That Those moments are doing something in us that is important and special. And so as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, of course, is what grows on you when you're connected to the Spirit of God. And that's, that's I've been thinking a lot about how the fruit of the Spirit reflects who God is. And I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but when we talk about love and peace and patience and kindness and so forth, we're talking about characteristics of God. And so when we connect with God and we become close to God, these characteristics start to grow in our own lives. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to know what God is like, look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, joy faithfulness, goodness, kindness, and patience. Patience is the one we're talking about today. And of course, when you talk about patience, you have to talk about the great philosopher Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. (laughs) Point of trivia, and it depends on whose list you look at, but if you look up a list of who has the greatest vocal range on earth, it is not Mariah Carey. It's Axel Rose. Pretty interesting. The dude can hit amazing highs and amazing lows. But he wrote this song called Patience, where it says, I sit here on the stairs because I'd rather be alone if I can't have you right now. I'll wait, dear. Sometimes I get so tense, but I can't speed up the time. But you know, love, there's one more thing to consider. said, woman, take it slow, and things will be just fine. You and I will just use a little patience. And he's talking about this baked-in pleasure to knowing that pleasure is on the way. that there's, there's this place that you can occupy where you're waiting for something as opposed to having the something. The, ha- the having is diminished in the presence of the waiting, that there's that anticipation and hope is important and can be pleasurable and romantic and erotic and wonderful when you have the right perspective. And so next time you're caught in traffic, think about the song Patience. And it's, it's interesting. The song starts with a dude whistling. There's not many songs that pull off whistling. Sitting on the dock of the bay would be one of them. But patience is just this dude whistling. It's, it's like, it's like a, a clear concept of satisfaction. I'm just fine to wait here because I know you're on the way. And the scripture says this, this, this attitude of patience, the whistling attitude of waiting for what is good should, should be kind of pervasive among Christians. If you're if you're a follower of Jesus, it, it should be kind of a part of your characteristics. It says this, it says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we're waiting for something amazing to happen. It says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. I'm sorry, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so there's a difference between impatient hopelessness and patient hopefulness. And Jesus calls us to a life of patient hopefulness, of knowing that the good is going to come, that this moment will be redeemed, that our lives will be changed, our bodies will be changed. So it's not just... Jesus talked about at one point about if you have fields and wives and kids and sheep and, and cattle and so forth, if you sacrifice these things for the kingdom of God, it says not only will you be rewarded in the next life, but you'll be rewarded in this life. And so it's not, just, it's not just about the great beyond and angels on clouds. It's about knowing that this moment is not all there is, that there's a better moment on the way, and that's encompassed in the afterlife and in this life. And so I want to I wanna briefly contrast the difference between patience and impatience. And I want to talk about what, what patience isn't. And so I want to show you these two pictures. And, and, and we don't know. We don't know what's in her heart or mind at this point. And we don't know what's in his heart or mind at this point. But which one do you think is existing in impatience? If you, had, if you had to choose, which one seems, it seems indicative of impatience? It's okay to say something out loud. Always the man. <laughs> Not what I was looking for. So, 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 to, so to me, she looks bored. And I, I could I be wrong, and, and this is just a stock image, so don't read too much into it. But she's, she's waiting for something to happen, whereas to me, this person is in the moment. And For all I know, he's dropped his watch. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's for, for sure what's occurring. But he's, he's admiring his surroundings, and, and there's, a, there's a difference between always thinking about the next thing and being so dissatisfied with right now and being in the moment and being satisfied right now, and it's closely linked to patience. And so, so, impatience is always looking for the next thing. It's bored. It's elsewhere. It's not present, whereas patience is vibrant and alive and present. Impatience is directly related to control. This is where you start to rub people a little bit wrong. See, each of us has been handled a joystick in life, a, a game controller, so to speak. And and the knobs on the game control and the buttons, we, we, we turn the knobs and we hit the buttons and we expect everything around us to do the changing, whereas the reality is the controller controls us and that's all. You hit the no- knob and, I don't, I don't know, your leg moves or your arm moves or your voice speaks and that's what you have control over. You don't have control over anything else that goes on in the entirety of the world. Now, you can exert influence with, what, with the control you've been given, but what impatience is oftentimes, not always... But oftentimes, is trying to control something that is not in your control, and as we'll see in a moment, it's not very intelligence intelligent. But impatience is tied to control, and patience brings freedom from that. One of the greatest lessons you can ever learn in life, and one of the greatest secrets to true contentment, is understanding that the world does not revolve around you. That the the controller you've been given is not. In order to manipulate and change all the circumstances out there, it doesn't again. It doesn't mean you can't influence. It doesn't mean you're not you're not controlling that. You're only controlling yourself. There's a one of the most famous prayers on earth that's used in 12-step programs globally. Anybody know what it's called? The Serenity Prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And it's, it's attributed to this German theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr, Niebuhr. I don't know how to pronounce his name. He actually acquired it from a friend of his who wrote it in his journal much, much earlier, but he, he put it in his current, current form in a sermon. And he continued it by saying this. He said, living, which, living should have an extra I in it, but I can't control that at this point. It's out of my control, and so I'm just going to let it slide and try to remain serene. Living one day at a time... Enjoying one moment at a time, taking this world as it is and not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. Serenity is found not in fixing the circumstances around you and controlling everyone else, controlling the traffic and controlling when, you're, when your food arrives at the table and how hot or cold it is and all the things that we want to control. Super Bowl Sunday arriving in just the time I want it to arrive. There's, there's no speeding up time. There's no Manipulating and controlling people there's there's just this: there's just the serenity of accepting, accepting what you can control, and it does, again, it doesn't mean you don't control things. it just means you accept and find serenity in what you can and cannot control. and so it's, impatience is is deeply tied to discontentment if you're If you're trying to hurry things up or trying to arrive at the next thing or, or looking forward to the thing and and your current situation is finding is suffering because of it. A lot of it is because of discontentment, whereas patience is quite content. And as a pastor, as a, as a preacher, you, you kind of you need to paint a picture of what is ideal. And so what I'm about to say, I want to make sure it's very clear that I haven't attained what I'm about to describe What the scriptures seem to indicate and what the life of Jesus seems to indicate is that as you press in with God, as you get closer to God and you start to understand God more, you start to absorb God, be closer to the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God fills you and changes you, that the need for contentment starts to shrink. The The things you have to have in order to be content, the Gospels would describe as becoming smaller and smaller. I have a good friend who described it in one word recently, and it's presence, the presence of God. You start to crave and hunger for the presence of God. When you've touched the Almighty, that's what you want more of. That's what you desire. And there's nothing that will ever, ever come close to satisfying like that will. The scriptures say this, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's a scene where Jesus was hanging out with his disciples and his friends, and and if you're if you're interested in how he related to women, I did a sermon series called "Jesus, the Original Women's Rights Activist," and he's he's having this conversation with with his friend Mary, and Mary's he's teach he's teaching a woman, which is in in Jewish culture is forbidden, verboten, but he's doing it, and she's sitting at his feet, learning from him, and and, and being in his presence, and her sister Martha, who is very impatient, is kind of tripped out because why isn't Mary helping me around the house? She's preparing this meal for all the disciples. All these people have come. She's trying to keep the house clean. She's trying to keep things in order. She's, and Jesus says this. He says, Martha, Martha, which is just so kind of condescending, it feels like, or, or putting her in her place, doesn't it? He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And so it it shows this, this word presence. It's you have a chance to sit at the feet of Jesus. You have a chance to be with Jesus, to be close to Jesus, to connect with the Almighty through Jesus. That's the one thing. That's the important thing in life. And so on a deeper level, if you're caught in traffic, Has God's presence gone somewhere else? On a deeper level, your food's not being prepared as snappy as you'd like it. The the server hasn't shown up with your drinks as quickly as you'd like. Has the presence of God fled? This is where serenity is found, is in the presence of God and our satisfaction with that. My buddy Chad mentioned this recently. He's the one that brought up the word present. He says, our reward is not what he will give us but that he will dwell among us. The the Alpha and Omega, as Andrew and Paul sang about just, just now, the Alpha and Omega will be with you. The most beautiful of beauties will be close to you. What else is there in life? And so, impatience is dissatisfied. Patience is rooted in satisfaction, and satisfaction is rooted in God's presence in our lives. Impatience is unintelligent. This was the best picture I could find of, of such a thing. But it says, danger do not proceed beyond this point. And people are on the cliff sides. When, when we were in Yellowstone, they have these, these spots in the ground that will cave in. And there's literally boiling lava hot water underneath. And they have signs everywhere that say, do not cross this barrier. And forever, people in their Instagram accounts and their TikTok accounts are standing over these geysers, taking pictures, and it's just really dumb. And there are some really, really, really horrible stories of bad things happening to people that failed to see the signs. I I was at Grand Canyon National Park one time, and there was this barrier that said, do not cross, and I stepped over the barrier, and I walked over to get a better view of the canyon below, and I heard a park ranger come behind me, and he cleared his throat and said, He said, son, several people die every year doing exactly what you're doing right now. And then he turned around, and got in his car, and drove off. He didn't, he didn't he didn't grab me and handcuff me or anything. He just said, You're you're a big dummy. But a lot of times we our expectations are ridiculous. You drive to Shelbyville Road at rush hour and then get ticked off because you're delayed at arriving at your destination. You're not just grumpy. You're dumb. And, and here, here, here's the thing. The people around you will suffer for it because you're going to take it, off, take it out on your kids or your, your partner or your companion or, or the, the waitress at some pizza joint that you're going to. You arrive, at, you arrive at Cheesecake Factory at 6 o'clock on a Friday night, and they tell you it's an hour away, and you're you just dumb. It's just not grounded in reality. So, so often impatience is, is because you have, you have this misconception that your, your video game controller controls everything else in life, and it doesn't. And so it's just kind of unintelligent, and I just kind of wanted to say that out loud. While I was preparing this sermon, I was listening to a playlist with a bunch of random songs on it, and this Pearl Jam song came on, and the lyric said this, said, much more, it makes much more sense to live in the present tense. Impatience is often rooted in fear. You're awaiting something, you're, you're hoping for something, and your impatience is rooted in the fact that you're afraid that that thing will never come. Whether it's relational or financial or job-related, you think, will the baby be born healthy? You think, will I find the job that I'm looking for? Will I, will I be able to buy the car I want? Or will the, will the kids come visit me on Easter? Or whatever the thing is, it's rooted in fear. And Jesus confronts fear directly. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? All worrying does is, it's, it's, again, it's, it's, it's rooted in not living in the now. Right now you're safe. Right now you're warm. Right now your bellies are at least moderately full but you're thinking about the bad thing that could possibly happen, that may or may not ever happen, and you're already living in that future, in here. And it's not even a a guaranteed pain. It's not even a guaranteed suffering. So it amplifies suffering. It amplifies pain. It's pain upon pain when you worry, when you exist in fear. And so a huge part of conquering fear is recognizing God's got you in the palm of his hand. I don't know if it's open hand, I suppose. He's got you in the palm of his hand and everything is going to be okay. The job may not, may not turn out the way you want, but everything is going to be okay. And there's no sense in living in a world right now where everything is not okay because you're afraid that that day will come when everything is not okay. And now you're just doubling up the not okayness in your life. Patience is intimately tied to everything is going to be okay. And that's kind of the gospel message is that Jesus came to set things straight set things right and everything is going to be okay i i clearly had a whole lot of thoughts about patience this week and i'm i'm going to keep going impatience robs you whereas patience supplies you so climbing a mountain or eating food or experiencing sexual bliss or whatever the thing is is always contrasted with a time that is not that thing so eating the cheeseburger is contrasted with the moments of not eating the cheeseburger. And we kind of we kind of have this built-in power to rejoice in those moments, not equally, but in a different sort of way than the blissful moments, the best moments. And so what impatience does is it says, everything is bad, I'm recognizing everything is bad, I'm going to live in the badness. Whereas patience says... Everything is bad in contrast to great joy. And in some sense, supplies, it's, it's like the ammunition or the foundation that, that joy is built upon. And I, I know we're getting kind of wackadoo here, but, but it, it robs you of all those moments that you don't have the thing you want. The circumstances aren't lining up the way you want them to be. There's a way to exist in those moments that is hopeful and tied to and connected to the good moments. So you can either root yourself in the bad moments as bad or root yourself in the bad moments as leading to something good. And it's a different mentality. It's it's a different way of living. And it means joy unlimited. It means peace unlimited. It means satisfaction unlimited. If you're able to attain such a thing, which I believe happens through the fruit of the Spirit of God living in you and through you, So when we talk about food or sex or the seasons or family gatherings or flowers, books, walks, walks, walks. I don't know why that's going on right now. I need testosterone replacement, it feels like. Gardens, churches. So this sermon is going to be the same length whether you're into it or not. There's there's a way to endure my sermons in such a way where there's great joy. Your kids, we, we, we... as, as a culture, we put this pressure on people. When are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to have another kid? And there's this, there's this boundary line where two and a half kids is the boundary, and once you cross that boundary, now you're a, a weirdo, just like the one who doesn't want to have kids. And we're not getting into that today. Except to say... Thank you. Except to say that we have this idea that I can't wait to get married. Or I can't wait for the romantic relationship. Or I can't wait for this or that. And then when a person gets married, I can't wait to have my first child. And then I can't wait to have the second child. And then I can't wait for the kids to get out of diapers. Oh, Lord, help us. I can't wait for the kids. And this is, this is a breakthrough moment. I'm not going to argue with that. But I can't wait until the kids can buckle themselves in their car seats. This is huge. I can't wait for the kids to, to start to drive so that they, now they can transport themselves on their own. I can't wait for my kids to to get married, and to have kids. And we live in this perpetual, I can't wait until, instead of here, now, which is the, the rooting point and the grounding point of patience. And then what happens is, 50 years from now, we look back at whatever the thing is, the jobs or the food or the sex or whatever it is, and we think, oh, if I could only go back. The, begin- the, the first part of life we impatiently waiting for the thing at the end parts of life, which, sorry about that existential nihilism I just dropped in your lap, but at the end parts of life, we're thinking, oh, if only I could do it again, or if only, if only, I, could, if only I could have been centered. And we have this beautiful opportunity to be patient and to be centered now. Anticipation makes for better events. Anticipation is a beautiful way to live life. If you ever spend time in the gym, one of my favorite things to watch as far as bloopers is gym fails, like people that have no clue how to use gym equipment. And the reality is, if, if you know a little bit, and, and clearly I do, if you know a little bit about working out, you don't have to look long to see somebody in the gym doing something really boneheaded. There's this concept in, in weightlifting called time under tension that weightlifter, that, that fitness people fit, fitness people, ignore. So they get in there and they bench press and they sling the weights like this and they're doing them as fast as they can and they're bouncing them, their, bouncing them off their chest and just doing it as, as much weight as they can as many times as they can and then they rack the weights and they're done. And what they don't realize is that they've not only probably damaged themselves more than they've helped themselves, they have wasted their time, wasted their energy and not benefited themselves because it's time under tension. You're, you're far, far better off Doing lower weights, slowly lowering, concentrating on the muscle group that you're trying to work on, slowly pressing out. And if it means doing less reps, it means doing less reps. But it's called time under tension. You want the muscles to be tensed as long as possible. And slinging the weights just doesn't do it. And it ties into our conversation today because time under tension is kind of how we live our lives. And we we want we want to escape those moments. We want we the reason people don't practice time under tension in the gym is because it is, guess, really, really hard. This is much easier than taking the time, focusing on the muscle group. It also requires quenching your ego. It, there, there's, a whole, there's a whole lot of messages here. But the idea is this, that there is something t- that happens during those tense moments, those hard moments, during those death moments, during the seed time moments and not the harvest moments, during the waiting moments, the anticipation moments. There's something that happens in you that is really, really valuable. It changes your character. It changes your moral guts. There, there's something that happens inside of you that, that can happen no other way. Rusty mentioned before the, the service today, as we were praying, he said, this is something we pray for, but we don't want to arrive. Patience is something that we know we want, but we do not want to experience the process that has to happen to arrive there. It's like humility. We want to be humble, but we don't want to be humbled. Well, we want to be patient, but we don't want to experience the life circumstances that require patience and allows it to dwell in us. But it's time under tension where the magic happens. And so part of what I want to say to you today is relish those moments. I don't, I don't want to say that you shouldn't buck against injustice or buck against suffering or buck against poverty or buck against pain. I'm, I'm saying you should do those things, but I'm saying you do them differently. I'm saying you exist in those moments. Like in Romans 5, it says this. It says, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. It's during that time under tension. It's during, it's during the waiting. It's, it's when you're, it's that, that, that tension between having and not having. We only want to exist in the having. But that's not where the magic happens when it comes to developing who we are and how we are. The not having is a, is a beautiful place where beautiful things occur. And if you shift your mentality, sitting in traffic changes the way you feel about it. And it's going to change the way you treat your kids. And it's going to change the way you treat the hostess at, Cheesecake Factory. And it'll change everything. I'm feeling that too. James says this, he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. And we're getting into some very clear Christian teaching here. So if you're in here and you don't embrace the Jesus thing, and maybe even the Bible is foreign to you, it's, it's okay if this next part just rubs you wrong or you, you ain't feeling me, you ain't feeling my vibe, it's fine. But for those that are followers of Jesus, that believe the gospels of Jesus, that believe what is, what is written about God and about Jesus and about how things will unfold, it, it describes this place where where God is going to set everything right. And it's not here, it's it's invading here, it overlaps here, but it's not here, but that day will come. And so the Christian hope is that all things will be set right, which means no matter how deep the suffering, no matter how deep the poverty, no matter how far isolated you are from people you love, no matter how alone you feel, no matter how sexually frustrated you feel, no matter, no matter what the thing is, there is this great hope that all things will be made well. And so for the believer in Jesus, for the follower of Jesus, there is no reason ever to not have hope and thus not have patience. The gospel is a gospel of hope. I want to close with this idea. Solomon said this, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Some of the people in the room, and, and most of us at some point in our lives, and all of us at, to some extent in our lives, exist in what we would call the down times. We're all rocketing towards death, even though we were born. We all, we all have to make financial investments that hopefully grow. There's a time to plant and a time to harvest, or, or literally plant, or um, work on a relationship that has been really struggling. Or whatever the thing is, we, we invest in it, and it, it doesn't happen like, like clockwork. It doesn't happen immediately. But it will happen. All of us needed time to heal. There's, a, there's always tearing down times in our lives. There's always times when your car won't start, when the job hasn't worked out the way you thought it was, or it would, when the divorce occurred despite what you hoped for initially. There's always going to be times where the struggling times or the barren times or the harsh times. And what Solomon, the guy who asked for wisdom from God, would say is, light will come into the darkness. It always will. It always, always will. There's no, there's no stopping it. There's, there's no diminishing it. There's no changing it. It's going to happen. The good will come. And that's the grounding for our hope in those hard times. And so I want to say to you, don't give up. Don't stress, breathe, and recognize that God says it's going to be okay. And I would describe this as the way of the Spirit of God. Hope is always around the corner.